Today on Stick to Football, there's a game on tonight. I've heard Monday night <laughs> national championship game, Clemson Tigers, LSU Tigers, Death Valley versus Death Valley. Myself, Matt Miller, Connor Rogers, we are going to break this game down player by player, buddy, and then end the show with a lot of draft on draft fun. Yeah, this is the draft preview of the national championship, and it's one you're going to want to listen to because looking at this rundown, you can go through nearly every starter on the field that's draft eligible, and their name matters in this class. It's really something, and I'm curious to see you know, if, if the Senior Bowl is waiting on a couple announcements from these guys after the game. Obviously, we're excited to see some of these guys, especially the Clemson players who – have had some big games this year, but we want to see more from them under the spotlight. And like Matt said, we're going to get through your draft on draft questions, but we have to start with around the league. There are some things going on. The Browns finally make a hire. As we're recording this show, they're setting up or finishing up interviews with GMs. A really, really exciting two weeks of NFL playoffs so far. But one more reminder before we get into the show. If you're going to the Senior Bowl, we are doing not one, but two live shows. That is January 20th, January 22nd. Those are the Monday and Wednesday nights, both at 7.30 p.m., same time, same place. Draft Picks in Mobile, Alabama. That is Draft Picks Tap Room. We always have a good time. And if you're going to be down in Miami for the Super Bowl or you're looking for an excuse to go on February 1st, that is the Saturday before the game, we will be having an event, a Super Bowl event. We'll get you exact location details, but it will be at 1 p.m. in Miami, Florida, in the Super Bowl media area. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to Mobile. We'll be there in one week. You're listening to this Monday, maybe Tuesday morning. We will be boots on the ground in Mobile. It's going to be a great time. Like Connor said, 7.30, Draft Picks Tap Room for the live podcast. We're going to have things to give away. We're going to do the the show for you. We'll take your questions. It'll be a good time. Let's jump into the news, though. You touched on it there, Connor. The Browns, they've completed the hiring cycle. Every team now has a head coach. The Browns hire Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, and You know, we're all true detective fans here at Stick to Football, and time is a flat circle, buddy, because this is a guy that the Browns tried to or were interested in hiring one year ago. Instead, they went with Freddie Kitchens. Baker Mayfield said, hey, I want Freddie. They got Freddie. And a lot of folks in that front office and in that ownership group wanted Kevin Stefanski, notably Paul D. Podesta, who has a lot of power with that team. Now Stefanski comes in, maybe not off the best performance he's put together as an offensive coordinator. The Vikings could not do anything against that San Francisco 49ers pass rush that was just all over Kirk Cousins. And I think this is an interesting hire. Let's talk about Stefanski, and then we'll get into some of the other front office type things happening here. I look at the talent that Cleveland has on offense, and this is a a dangerous game to play because I think we did this last year. But you have Baker Mayfield. You have Nick Chubb. You have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. I would probably try to patch things up with David Njoku now that everyone else is gone. They have some talent. And when I look at what Kevin was able to do in Minnesota with less talent than the Browns have, you got to feel pretty good about that. I think step one is obvious for this team. You have to build the offensive line. Now, Stefanski was able to have a not-great offensive line in Minnesota and still have a productive offense, so I don't think his offense is necessarily predicated on having to have the Dallas Cowboys offensive line or the Oakland Raiders offensive line, but they do need to improve there, especially at left tackle. But if you are focused on, okay, we have to make a hire that's going to help Baker Mayfield, it probably came down to Stefanski and Josh McDaniels because of that. And I am excited to see Baker in this offense where I think they'll utilize a lot of rollouts, try to, and also, number one job for him as a coach 
Baker has to learn to step up in the pocket because, just as I was saying, oh, they'll utilize rollouts. Baker was prematurely rolling out so many times last year, and I said this about Mahomes last year, so this isn't me just taking shots at Baker. He's got to learn to step up in the pocket to make plays. This was a really, really interesting uh, coaching cycle of interviews for the Browns because it obviously lingered longer than any other job that was open. They took their time. They didn't rush. It, it really seems like, or I could tell you, it came down to Josh McDaniels, Kevin Stefanski, and Robert Sala. And ultimately, it really came down to Kevin Stefanski and Robert Sala because Josh McDaniels comes in and he asked for a lot. And I think if Josh McDaniels came in, he would have had to fully have the owner's blessing to do things his exact way. And I think that would have pushed Paul D. Podesta out, honestly. So you have yes. Paul D. Podesta, who's running a lot of things there. He wanted Kevin Stefanski a year ago. He lost that battle against John Dorsey when they went with Freddie Kitchens instead. He wins this time. So McDaniels wasn't going to get all the things he wanted there, and that pushed him out right away. Now, what I can tell you is Robert Sala had a great, great interview, a great plan, and it leads to the next thing here. This was a team that requested to interview Ed Dodds as the GM. And if you noticed, it lingered for a while if that would actually happen. That's because he was only coming if Robert Sala got the job. Stefanski gets the job. Dodds declines the interview and says, no thanks, we have unfinished business in Indy. That wouldn't have been the case if Robert Sala went there. So no matter what you think of Stefanski, and I'm very you know, in the middle on this hire because Gary Kubiak has helped a lot in Minnesota this year. Oh, yes. Uh, Mike Zimmer is the first guy in every press conference to say that. So I don't think this is a, a great hire. I don't think this is a disaster hire. It's just somewhere in the middle. I think the bigger problem I have with it, Matt, is that the best GM candidate for the Browns was Ed Dodds. And I think Robert Sala was a good head coaching candidate. So yeah. if you got Sala, then Dodds, and assuming you were probably going to get one of the guys from San Francisco, which is Mike McDaniel or Mike uh, LaFleur as your offensive coordinator with Sala, I liked that package as a whole much better for Cleveland. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the Niners, they would block Mike McDaniel. Uh, the only way he's they leaving there is do. if he's a head coach. And Mike LaFleur would be, I think, a little bit of a different story. But Kyle Shanahan is a master at his guys not getting loose. And Robert Sala is going to be a head coach next year. I- I'm willing to guarantee that. You can at cold takes. Uh, it- it's going to happen. One thing that I have heard, though, Connor, is that with, the, with Ed Dodds declining, I, I kind of got the feeling that he might have done that even if Sala got the job just because of-, of where things were at. And one thing that can't be underrated in this whole thing John Dorsey being fired by the Browns and they're going to say oh we mutually parted ways John Dorsey being fired is affecting the Browns ability to hire a GM which is why it's probably going to be Andrew Barry whatever the title is but John Dorsey whatever y'all think him is so highly respected around the NFL and his his tree his outreach is enormous I mean guys like Ed Dodds are connected to John Dorsey and so I think with that you know if you want to talk to like the guys in Seattle with Fitterer and Kirchner John Dorsey they're probably going to call John and be like hey should we should we even talk to the Browns and guess what he's going to say absolutely no. not <laughs> or if you're Mike Borgonzi in Kansas City John Dorsey is a mentor of yours are you going to take that Browns job no, you're not. And so with Dorsey, who is a stand-up dude, I don't think he would be you know, behind closed doors calling people saying, don't take the Browns job, they screwed me over. But you're going you're gonna to call a guy who's been there and ask what that situation's like. So I, I do think the Browns, it's not a good look when you're the last team to hire a coach. Um, even if you could say you were waiting for Kevin Stefanski, but unless he's bringing Gary Kubiak, I'm a little skeptical of that hire. 
But now you don't have a GM, and the Senior Bowl is in one week. And I don't know if people understand how important that is, that you need a structure in place because you want to be able to go down there knowing what you're looking for. What type of wide receivers does my coach want? What type of player does our GM want to draft? And we're going to hear a lot about analytics coming out of Cleveland again. It seems like they're recycling that a little bit to where this will be, you know, with John Dorsey, it was oh, a football guy. I think now they're going to skew back a little heavier toward the analytics of things. We'll see what happens, but uh, it is, it is very interesting. There's always drama in Cleveland. That is one thing that you can bet on every year. Now, the divisional, divisional round, excuse me, was four of the best football games that I can remember watching in a long, long time. Three of them especially uh, being very, very close games. You know, the Niners-Vikings uh, game was not, but um, the Chiefs-Texans game is the biggest like roller coaster of emotion that I can remember. You know, all my friends are Chiefs fans. My six-year-old's a Chiefs fan. Living in Missouri your whole life, like almost everyone's a Chiefs fan. And when they went down twenty-four nothing, my son is just despondent. You know, he's like, "What is going on? Why are we losing? The Texans are going to win." And you know, my friends Mellows text me like, "What? What the hell is going on?" And then um, that was the flukiest twenty-four nothing I've ever seen in my life. By the way. But then for Kansas City to turn around and score 51 points in the final three quarters, I don't want to sit here and be a prisoner of the moment or be a homer because Derrick Henry is really, really hard to tackle. I don't know how you can watch Kansas City play on Sunday and think, yeah, we could beat that team because they erased a 24 nothing lead in like three minutes. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. Even the Patriots 28-3 comeback in the playoffs was like methodical. You know, they chipped away at it. The Chiefs, you like went to the bathroom and came back and they were tied. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I've never felt at 24-7 that a game was over for the team with 24 <laughs> points. It was You're right. How, how easily that first touchdown came and the stadium got loud and Mahomes gets excited and the team starts following that energy. You're like, oh shit. If they get one stop here, like the Texans need to put the foot on the gas right there. And as soon as the Chiefs got that stop, which you knew they were getting, the game was over. It was over. There was, and like you said, Matt, it was like they spotted the Texans 24 points. It didn't feel like this authentic, like, wow, this is an ass kicking right right now. And don't get me wrong, the Texans did some good things there, but there was definitely some fluky plays where you're sitting there and you're going, once this Chiefs offense gets going, once they get that foot on the gas pedal and once they get a little bit of momentum, this crowd, this franchise quarterback, and especially that coaching staff is going to carry them through. And they did. Frank Clark had a great game, especially yes, a great did. second half. He's really turned it on now that he's healthy. Uh, you know, he was bat- battling a lot of things this season, and, and that looks like a great move. I'm with you right now. Uh, it would be fo- – and I know Tennessee's been great to watch. They force you to play their style of football, which is ugly, and it punches you in the face. And I do think it will at least be a game. But to not picture the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl right now would just be insane. It, it is, man. It is – you know, the drop passes early, and then the block punt, the muffed uh, – the muffed punt by Tyree Kill, it really just felt like nothing was going the Chiefs' way. I want to credit Andy Reid because in the years past, we've talked about Andy being too conservative with a lead. I thought they did a great job Sunday of, like you said, foot on the gas, never letting up. Now, the rest of these games, I look at Tennessee, and I actually, we do radio here locally. I picked Tennessee to beat Baltimore, and everyone crushed me. 
as they probably should have because it was not a trendy pick. But I just I really believed that Mike Vrabel had a plan and that he had enough talent on defense to match up with what the Ravens were going to do. Now, I could not have predicted that Lamar Jackson was going to struggle the way he did or that the Titans were going to win by throwing the ball 15 times in a game. Then they win by 16 points. But I think when you have Derrick Henry and you have Rashawn Evans, Kenny Vaccaro, Kevin Byard, this is a really, really good Titans team. And I think it's time that we stop overlooking them now that they're in the AFC Championship game because they've had some big wins this year and they are proving that they can play with anyone. They beat Kansas City earlier this year. Now, there were a, a blocked field goal and a missed field goal by Kansas City. It was Mahomes' first game back from the knee injury. But my early look at this game is, I would, as if like Mello were sitting here, he would tell you this. As a Chiefs fan, he's terrified of the Titans and has been Should since be. they got in the playoffs. That was something we talked about before the playoffs started was the Chiefs could probably hold their own against anyone in this division except for the Titans. And when I look at them, man, I don't know how you stop Derrick Henry. I don't know how you get past that defense. This is going to be a fantastic game at Arrowhead. Well, number one, the nine and a half point line on that game was the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen yes, to was. Tennessee. And, and I love Baltimore. They had a, a bad game in a lot of places that weren't just Lamar Jackson. That's what's crazy. It's like everything came crashing down at once for this football team. And you see how good of a coach, how underrated of a coach Mike Vrabel is. But nine and a half points... It was just absolutely insane. And it was so insane that it almost psyched me out. I was betting on this game because living in New Jersey, you get the luxury of, of betting Must legally. Be nice. <laughs> and I bought a point and made it 10 and a half. I was like, touchdown to field goal, they'll be fine. Uh, they won by a lot, so I think everything was fine. And like I said, it, do I believe the Chiefs will be in the Super Bowl? Yes, but do I think it'll be an easy path against Tennessee? No, because of the way they make you play is so different than a lot of teams. It really is old-school football, and I think as a Titans fan, it's very exciting. And I'll say this, Derrick Henry has made himself a lot of money this postseason where he's going to be the next great interesting running back negotiation in football, and it's going to be very soon. Yeah, he and Melvin Gordon hit the market this year. I think he'll make more than Melvin Gordon. He should. Um, It's just finding the right market for him, finding the right fit where a team wants to run the ball like that. I wouldn't be shocked if Tennessee is able to keep Ryan Tannehill if they use the franchise tag on Derrick Henry. And the NFC, the Niners just absolutely destroyed the Vikings 27-10, and it didn't feel that close. As the resident Niners fan here, I'll tell you, the one thing I'm worried about is did not look good throwing the ball. And this is not a great secondary. Just the fact, I mean, Garoppolo was 11-19, 131 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Mark Sanchez-esque. Right, and George Kittle did nothing in this game. Now, credit the Vikings. Eric Kendrick's a great linebacker. Anthony Barr's a great linebacker. They have two very good safeties, Harrison Smith. Harris and Smith, not Harrison Smith. And they they shut this offense down. Now, the Niners didn't have to be great on offense because of what they did on defense. Nick Bosa continues to just dominate. He had two sacks, two tackles for a loss. If you were a first-round pick by the Niners, you had a sack in this game, basically. But looking ahead to Green Bay, and I know the Niners destroyed them last time they played back in November, Green Bay's offense is getting right at the right time. And so I'm not here to, like, market the NFL, make these games seem more exciting than they are. As a Niners fan, I am worried about Green Bay because they can run the ball, they can throw the ball, and they have pass rushers, much like the Niners do, in Preston and Zadarius Smith. they got a very, very good corner in Jarrett Alexander. I'm worried about the Packers. This game being in San Francisco, that's not much of a home field advantage. The Packers, man, I mean, Rodgers is just that throw that he had uh, late in the game where he just drops it in the bucket. 
only like two people in the NFL could probably make that throw. Maybe three. I'll throw Drew Brees in there still. And it's just like Rodgers, when the playoffs come around, we've seen some years where it's like, ah, he's, he's falling apart. This year it was like all regular season. It was like, man, is he taking a step back? And the playoffs come, and it's like, oh, nope, he's still really, really good. This team went 13-3 and three for a reason. So we get the one seed versus the two seed, and then we get the two seed versus the six seed in the AFC. But uh, I'm worried uh, about the Packers, I'll tell you that. I mean, this is a clash of the Titans matchup just because you look at what San Francisco wants to do. They want to run the football. They have multiple running backs that can get you to that 100-yard mark this weekend. It was obviously Tevin Coleman. But they have a lot of guys in that backfield that can get them combined to almost the 200-yard mark. Then you look at the Green Bay defense. The leading rusher out of the running backs for Seattle was Marshawn Lynch with 26 yards. 2.2 yards a carry. So Russell Wilson had 64, but it's on scrambles. And I don't think Jimmy's going to be doing a lot of that. So would I always bet on Kyle Shanahan? Yes. But I do love the experience of Aaron Rodgers, how talented this defense is. Darius Smith is the most underrated defensive player in all of the NFL. Aaron Jones has been phenomenal. Devontae Adams is the best route runner in football. Green Bay is a lot of fun. They've been there before. And Kyle Shanahan's been this far in the postseason before as well. So I think this is going to be awesome. I think this is a really hard game to predict. And it's, you know, like I said, you know, the Niners having the pass rushers to get after Rodgers is what's going to be the difference in this one if they win or not. Because you know Green Bay's defense is going to bring it, but Shanahan will get them enough, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. So we're set for a really fun championship weekend. I mean, I think you look at these teams – And they can all play defense now. Now, the Chiefs, ironically, might be the team where sometimes they just don't play defense, but they're also the team that could score 60 points in a flash. So it doesn't matter. And that's why I think we're we're really due for such an exciting two really close games during the championship weekend. Since you don't have a dog in the fight here, are you are you rooting for a Chiefs Niners Super Bowl so Melo and I just tear each other apart for two weeks? Without a doubt. And I also really, (laughs) really like Kyle Shanahan and Pat Mahomes. So watching those two guys alone in the Super Bowl is a big reason. I also really like Mike Vrabel. So the Titans don't really like their NFL. I don't think is hoping for Tennessee (laughs) Ryan Tannehill in the Super Bowl. But if they get there, like Mike Vrabel is awesome. They're an awesome team. I think we haven't talked about enough of since they Jeffrey Simmons has been back. They've lost like two games. He's so good. He's I mean, we all knew that was going to happen. But the fact of how quickly he came back. I mean, there's a lot of good that can happen in this Super Bowl, whether it's Aaron Rodgers in it, whether it's Shanahan's redemption story, or honestly, the most important one to me, though, is seeing Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl because he's the most exciting player in the NFL. Absolutely is. Before we take a break, I do want to throw this nugget in. We're waiting for player declarations. They have a couple days to declare, and then a week. January 20th is the deadline to withdraw. So the 17th, the deadline to, to enter, 20th deadline to withdraw. We're waiting for LSU and Clemson, obviously. We're waiting for some Iowa guys. But, Connor, one thing I heard Monday morning when making calls, getting updates, is that USC might get Austin Jackson back, which is going to be huge if they can get offensive tackle, who I think has a chance to be a top 50 pick. But USC has a chance to get Austin Jackson back. They also have a very good chance to get Tyler Vaughns back, a redshirt junior receiver. So we've talked a lot about USC being able to recruit, being able to keep their own guys Getting those two players back on offense would be pretty huge uh, for what they've got coming back next year. Yeah, that would be gigantic. And I think when you look at Jackson, you know, we've now seen a couple good offensive line prospects go back to school. You know, you look at Trey Smith going back to school. 
And then uh, Creed Humphrey going back to school. So those are two really big names. And I think Jackson is another day two offensive tackle that, you know, he's almost penciled in as a day two offensive tackle. That takes three guys off the board. And in an O-line class, that's a big hit. Yeah, and we're still waiting for Najee Harris as well. Uh, I'm told that decision is coming. I don't think Um, he's going to come out. You know, I was talking to – I got asked to consult on this one. I was talking to some people Friday and said, you know, next year's running back class doesn't have a dude in it, but you're a running back. How many more hits do you want to take before you get to the NFL? So I, I do – you know, you see both sides of this, but it's starting to sound like Najee might might go back. I mean, if you're on the fence this late in the game, I think Nick Saban will probably get his, his talons in and pull you back to Tuscaloosa. But definitely something to watch as we look to the big names. All right, let's take a break. We come back. Speaking of big names – a lot of them will be on the field tonight in the College Football National Championship game. We're going to give you player by player with some scouting nuggets on each guy. One team was expected to be here when the season began, the Clemson Tigers. They continue another undefeated season, ripping through the ACC, ripping through Ohio State. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game of college football. On the other side, a bit of an underdog when the season started. One of us idiots picked LSU to lose to Texas. They didn't lose a game all year. With quarterback Joe Burrow breaking records, thrown for 55 touchdowns, completing 77% of his passes, while LSU went undefeated through a tough SEC schedule. Connor, we look at these two teams, man. And with Clemson, the one thing that stands out to me, and we're going to go player by player, but I want to start here. Trevor Lawrence is not draft eligible. So we aren't even talking about arguably the best prospect in this game is a guy we can't talk about yet because he's a true sophomore. Trevor Lawrence, go ahead and put him in. QB1 for me, 2021, barring injury or him holding up a liquor a liquor store. He's going to be the guy next year. Trevor's special. We've seen it now for two seasons. Uh, so I don't want people to think we're forgetting about the guy. He's just not draft eligible. No, and the same could be said for Justin Ross, who could be the top wide receiver next year or one of the top wide receivers next yeah. year. So two of the frontline players, the superstars in this game, are not draft eligible And, God, they're just amazing. I mean, you go back to what they did in the Natty last year. It's going to be fun to watch, obviously, to see what Trevor could do in another big moment this year. And I think when you talk about this LSU team, I mean, they've proven me wrong every step of the way. I thought their ranking – I was surprised at their preseason ranking, and they've gotten everything and more, and that starts with Joe Burrow. But we are going to start with this Clemson team, Matt, player by player. And I think the first one we have to start with is the guy that shows up in the top 10, most of the time top 15, in all of our mock drafts this year. And that's, I guess we'll say linebacker, but really do it all, man, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, and people ask me for player comps on him all the time. We've talked about it a lot on this show. I don't have one, and I probably won't have one. It'll probably just be blank or some type of hybrid player. One nugget I've heard, and when you're watching the game tonight, Isaiah Simmons is going to be very easy to focus on for this Clemson defense because he's all over the field. It'll actually be a fun game for you guys at home. Just track where he lines up. Middle linebacker, slot corner, safety, edge rusher. But one thing I have heard is that we in the media are higher on him than a lot of teams are right now. He's my number five overall player. I think he's he's in Mello's top five. Connor, he's in your top ten, I believe. Or I know he's in your top ten. But with Isaiah Simmons, I think there's a knock right now from NFL teams that they don't know what he is either. And they're looking at that as a negative instead of the positive that we are. So with, with Simmons tonight... He's got a big job, whether it's shadowing you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, whether it's getting after Joe Burrow, whatever the task is for him, covering Thad Moss at tight end. We're going to see Isaiah Simmons be put in a lot of different situations. I'm a huge fan, and I think you can make the 
easy argument that outside of Trevor Lawrence, he's the best player for Clemson this year. Yeah, he's incredible. He really is. The amount of different things he could do for your defense. And I have him at 10th overall. I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm like, where is he going to play full time? And then I kind of sit there and go, we'll just play him, obviously, as you always say, on the field and move him all over. Right. And, and you like, play defense, right? Yeah, I mean, he could play single high. He could play outside linebacker. He could play inside linebacker. He could rush the passer. He does so many things really, really well. I think more of me having him at 10 is that we see players like this, Matt, that are our chess piece kind of players. They fall all the time. They're more talented. He's a top 10 player. You could see him going more yeah. in the top 15, which might be great news for a team like the Las Vegas Raiders that can use a guy like Simmons. But I think he's going to test very well. And once again, if you watch him tonight in the national championship, you see the versatility on display every single game. It absolutely is. Let's move on. The best player offensively, wide receiver T. Higgins. I I like T a lot. Six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, he can stretch the field vertically. He could be physical catch point. I think he's good in the red zone. But there are speed questions, and I think with T tonight, we're going to see him against the secondary that has Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley Jr., Grant Delpit. Kerry Vincent Jr. There's a lot of good defenders in that LSU secondary. Can he separate? And especially when he's matched up with Stingley, who has size and speed, that's the key for me. That's what I want to watch tonight. Can he get open? Can he get loose? Because no disrespect to the ACC, not a lot of great corners. And I think against Ohio State, we saw Higgins get slowed down a little bit. Um, Yes, there was the injury, but he got slowed down a little bit by Jeff Okuda in those corners. So for me with T. Higgins, round one grade, um, Top 32 player. I have him right now at 13 overall. But I do think there are some questions about his ability to separate that I'm going to watch tonight. I will say one thing because I I just pulled up my notes. His game against Virginia this year might be the best game any prospect had, though. He's had some big stretches. I mean, I think there was a three- to four-week span where he had seven touchdowns. So he takes over at times. I have him 21st on my board right now, and he's a great above-the-rim kind of player. Now, you make a great point about the speed issues, Matt, because – you know, out of high school, he was timed at a four seven five, and I'm not saying T. Higgins is running a four seven at the NFL Combine. I think he's going to do much better than that. But when you talk about is he going to be in this class that forget Rugs, forget Judy. You know, the real thing is, is T going to be a 4-5 guy? Because that's what you want him to be as a six foot four player that plays above the rim, can work the middle of the field. There's a lot of things well in the red zone. I really like T Higgins. I, I really, really do. And if he runs a lot faster than we projected, maybe he just needs training in the 40-yard dash because there are times on the field where he does win deep. Uh, then that would be a huge stock booster for him in a deep wide receiver class. It absolutely would. And, you know, with all these guys, it's like it's it's too early to say, oh, like one game matters. But I think one this game really does matter for T. Higgins. His ability to separate over the top is big. Now, running back Travis Etienne, uh, it's funny because on this show, I feel like we've been really high on him for two years. But there's this narrative out there that I don't like Travis Etienne. I do. It's just a very good running back class. And I have a couple guys slotted ahead of him. What I love about Etienne, though, if he goes to the right team, and I'm talking like a good outside zone team, he's going to be fantastic. He has what I think is the best speed of any running back in this draft class. However, one thing I was hearing Monday morning, he might go back to school. Now, you're going to hear the argument of why take, you know, like we said with Najee earlier in the show, why take more hits for free? With Clemson, they believe they can do something truly special with Trevor Lawrence coming back next year, Justin Ross is coming back, a lot of the offensive line will be back. So I do know that there's some 
thinking out there that, that Travis Etienne might return to school. Uh, against LSU, they have so much speed at linebacker, and we talk so much about their safeties. That is one thing I want to see. How much is Etienne used tonight? out of the backfield as a receiver. What is he able to do? Does he show some power to his game? Because that is the knock. You have a guy who's 5'10", 200 pounds. Can he show some power to match up with that speed? I have him right now at 44 overall and compared to Chris Johnson. So, really, like I Travis was going to say, if you compare him to CJ2K, you like him a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, he would be right now the number three back in four. He's the number four back. Excuse me. I have it Dobbins, uh, Swift, Jonathan Taylor and Travis Etienne. So pretty good company. Um, it's just it's a good running back class. Yeah, I have him 28th overall, but fourth running back for me too. I mean, I have it Swift, JT, and Dobbins, and they're all very close to each other. And then Etienne. I think the most important thing, Matt, is that we've seen in games now, like the Ohio State game, when he's taken out as a runner, he's becoming effective as a pass catcher. That's the most important growth step for Etienne. And if he continues to do that, especially tonight against a good LSU defense, that's going to make a really big difference in his stock. Now, if I was him, you know, I can't speak to what a guy wants to do. And Etienne is a really interesting story that Adam Kramer wrote. He was a late bloomer. He went to one of those camps, ran a blazing 40, and all of a sudden these D1 offers came in right. when there was none on the table. And that's opened the door for his younger brother to get looks now. So he's kind of a small-town vibe kind of guy. He's not this big, flashy kind of guy. Maybe he likes playing college football. He likes playing with Trevor Lawrence. And maybe he wants a chance for a potential second or third national title next year. So I understand all of those things. But when you talk about running back mileage, which you did about Najee Harris in segment one, that would be the most important factor for me. And as a running back and a top 50 pick, I think ETN should go to the NFL. Yeah, it's tough. If you're a running back and you're going to be a top 100 pick, you almost have to go. Now, a player that I actually thought it was a redshirt sophomore. I did not realize because you know we, we just don't dig in on these guys until it's time for them to declare. Amari Rogers is a junior, not a redshirt sophomore. That might seem like a weird distinction to make, but uh, junior instead of redshirt sophomore, a lot of times, guys, that's three years of tape. You're probably going to be ready to jump faster. Amari Rogers is interesting. Tours ACL in the spring, uh, has not had a great year statistically. I wanted to throw him in here because he is draft eligible. We have seen surprises. I have not heard anything about him coming out, but he would add. An interesting layer to this wide receiver class. Five foot ten, but really, really good speed. When you watch the Clemson offense, it's so much about Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Amari Rogers might be the guy tonight against LSU where that third corner for LSU is going to have their work cut out for them when he gets out there in the slot. Yeah, and I think him going back to school, you know, does make some sense. You have to wonder. You know, six months of a torn ACL, and I'm not a doctor, so I don't have the medical report if it was a different tear, partially torn. All I get to see is on the on the internet is that it's a torn ACL. Six months is fast, Matt. So one thing I don't like to do ever, and I know you're the same way, you never judge a guy the first couple months back from serious injury. Oh, a doubt. Especially yep. from – and we've seen it with a lot of talented players. So – you know, he's somebody that can do a lot of different things on the field. And he's, you know, let's be real. He, he's been banged up quite a bit now in college, but he's a good player. He's a really, really good player. And if he did surprisingly change his mind and decide to declare for this draft, say he has a phenomenal national title. We've seen this happen before. Say he has a fantastic game tonight. And he says, you know what? I'm hot right now. I'm going to leave. 
then it adds a very interesting wrinkle to a very deep wide receiver class already. But Rodgers has had flashes where you go, damn, who the hell is that guy? Because I've seen T. Higgins, I've seen Justin Ross, and he's somebody that, you know, the opportunity tonight is as big as anyone else's. Really is. The, the stage is enormous. Uh, on defense, my favorite player not named Isaiah Simmons for Clemson is corner A.J. Terrell. He's also a junior. I would expect him to test the waters. Probably going to come out because uh, it is a good corner class, but I think he slots into it pretty well. I actually have him graded number 47 overall right now. 6'1", 190. And we haven't seen him against a lot of great talent. Uh, tonight could be a difference maker. If he can shut down Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, whoever he's on, I think that's going to change the conversation because he could go ahead of guys like Trevon Diggs. He could go ahead of, of Jeff Gladney. And so he puts himself in more of the conversation. Now, if he gets mossed by Jamar Chase all night, probably not talking about him as a draft prospect for 2020. Tough spot it's to be more in. 2021. <laughs> really is, yeah. I mean, I, I like him as well as a day two corner right now. I think he's got good length. I think we've seen him... Be one of those guys that lived up to the hype. A five-star recruit eventually transforms himself into an early starter and then a first-team all-ACC kind of player with good ball production for a cornerback that really shouldn't be tested too often in that conference. So once again, we talk about it with Amari Rogers. The same could be said for A.J. Terrell because these LSU wide receivers, Matt, are first-round guys, and that's not easy to do at wide receiver. And we know that with the Alabama guys. I think preseason we talked about it with the Michigan guys, but we were a little bit disappointed, mostly in the quarterback. And I yeah. think we, we do it with the Clemson guys a lot. But LSU, you know, with Chase and Jefferson, this is a phenomenal group. And once again, this is that chance for Terrell. You look at how the knock on Clemson all year or Clemson prospects is, well, who are they doing it against? Well, now you get to do it against the best. Yeah, exactly. And we always talk about that. You want these games for scouting. On the offensive line, Clemson has two guys. John Simpson is a senior. He is slated to be at the senior bowl. A power player, six foot four, three hundred thirty pounds. Should go. He's he should. He really should. And he's an ass kicker. I really enjoy watching him play. Right tackle, Tremaine Ankrum is a an eligible junior. I don't think we'll see him leave. It would be a no, I'm sorry, he is a senior. Um he is a player that I am not that high on looking at my rankings right now. Um, another guy who is a senior bowl player, he is incredibly small, six foot two, two ninety. So we might see him get kicked inside to play some guard. Center. I wouldn't even be surprised if he plays some center at that size. So uh, obviously, you know, the first note for me in his strengths is the mobility is unreal for him, but he's playing a position where we don't see a lot of six two, two ninety guys playing offensive tackle. Not even Isaiah Wynn. And I think when you look at players like that you know what teams will dig into because center it's a tough position to move to you know you look at the IQ of the player hey can they take on that transition and if Ankrum shows that like you said Matt he has the mobility to make a really nice adjustment to center especially a team that wants to run an outside zone kind of scheme you look at what Kyle Shanahan likes to do this sounds like his kind of project and I know we say that all the time but I'm a little more excited just to see him is Simpson. Because like you said, that 330-pound that thick build, which he looks even bigger than that sometimes, when he gets his hands on you, it's over. So Clemson, it's hard because, and I'm guilty of this, we get infatuated with the skill talent they have, ETN, all the wide receivers, you know, the best quarterback we've seen in, in so long for a young guy in Trevor Lawrence. But watch the offensive line sometimes because there's a reason this offense goes. And, and those, those guys in the trenches, 
you know, they've been there for a while being senior players. They don't get the credit they deserve all the time. And sure, they're going to have a tough task against the speed and power of LSU. But if Clemson either makes this a game or wins this game, I think you have to give some of those guys some big time credit that they don't always get. Yes, sir. Last Clemson player we're going to highlight is safety, Kevon Wallace, another senior bowl guy. So we see a lot of Tigers uh, in two week, in one week, excuse me, at the 2020 Reese's Senior Bowl. Kevon Wallace uh, has his work cut out for him tonight because LSU throws the ball better than anyone in the country, whether it's, you know, Thad Moss, Terrence Marshall, a guy who's been dominant over the middle, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, uh, tracking Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's so great out of the backfield. Gavon Wallace, is he's going to get his steps in tonight for sure because they're going to ask him to show off his range at the safety position. So as much as Isaiah Simmons is a huge part of what Clemson does defensively, I think Kevon Wallace is a huge, huge asset as well because he has range over the top of that defense. And I think that's the most important thing for him because he's one of these smaller safeties, Matt, where you need his coverage ability to shine bright. I mean, I know he's listed at 5'11". He's probably more towards 5'10", maybe even 5'9 and 3 quarters kind of player. But when you can cover like that, that's going to be needed so much. And I'm curious to see what kind of pressure Clemson cooks up tonight because last year we knew what we were getting when those three guys that that went in the first round, right. you know, we knew what we were getting with those. You, you Cleon Farrell, you pin your ears back and you go. You know what Dexter Lawrence can do in the middle. Christian Wilkins. I'm curious to see how they use Simmons in that role tonight and how much pressure is put on these guys like Terrell and Wallace to cover some of the best skill talent in the entire country, and Chase, obviously, maybe the best wide receiver in all of college football. Yeah, Blitnikoff winner, big deal. Let's take a break. We come back. Whew, take a breath, because LSU has 16 players to talk about. They are loaded for the NFL. We've seen some amazing teams over the years. Alabama, Ohio State, with a ton of draft prospects, Connor. LSU's 15 players. Sorry, I misspoke. 15 players that I'm evaluating tonight. Not all of them maybe come out, but I know talking to people at LSU over the last week, they're worried that all these underclassmen might follow Joe Burrow into the NFL. They might see, hey, uh, we got to start over the quarterback next year. Nah, we'll just go with JB to the NFL. And that's where this conversation starts. Joe Burrow is having a historic season. Mello said it to me the other day. It's the best season season he's ever seen from a college quarterback. And he threw Vin Jung into that list as well, which I, I thought was a little crazy. But then you look into it, 77% of his passes, 55 touchdowns. He's getting it done as a runner as well. And Joe Burrow, I think, we've talked so much about him as a college football player this year that maybe we're inside the bubble and not outside it. Maybe we're too close to the situation. But I feel like he's not getting the credit he deserves as a draft prospect because where he was at, Week one, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, Joe could have a good year. Now where we are, and like Jim Nagy said on the Friday show, no one saw this coming, and so it almost feels like it's time to catch up with how, you know, all of us have Joe Burrow ranked highly, but he's it's not that he's just the default guy because Tua got hurt. He's a really, really good quarterback prospect in his own right. Without a doubt, and I think the jumps he made this year in this LSU offense, you know, working under Brady, have been phenomenal. It's given him a chance to shine. But we've seen him take steps. I mean, his feel in the pocket, his accuracy in the short and intermediate areas of the field. He's done so many things well. He's obviously a phenomenal leader. And I think it's, you know, how long do we even have to talk about Joe Burrow? He's penciled in as the number one pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. You heard Jim Nagy say it. Zach right. Taylor has called his family and said, hey, get Joe down to Mobile. 
because we want to start working with this guy. We want to get to know this guy, and we want to be around him and start that relationship earlier. And when you look at how much the new NFL, you know, the CBA, I shouldn't call it new because it's going to expire soon, but when you look at how much it limits time coaches get, not just with players but with their quarterbacks, I think that alone tells you how Cincinnati feels about Joe Burrow, and it's it's all but a foregone conclusion that this guy is going to be the number one pick in uh, the NFL draft. And I think my thing is like he deserves to be the year yeah, that he's sure. had the player and person that he is. He deserves to be the number one pick. It's it's not like a consolation prize. Like oh man, if Tua had been healthy, I had Burrow over Tua before he got hurt the, the hip injury. At least I just want to point that out. I, I think Joe Burrow needs a little bit more love than he's had. As a draft prospect. Now, after Burrow, LSU is incredibly deep. And it's mostly underclassmen. Safety Grant Delpit, one of those guys. We've talked about Delpit this year where, yeah, he took a little bit of a step back in his junior season. But athleticism like this, leadership and character like this, doesn't come along very often. It's not that easy to find. I still have Grant Delpit as a top 15 player. And no, he's not the best tackler in the world. But I also think he held back a little at times this year. I remember sitting in the stands watching them play Georgia and was like, oh, there's Grant Delpit. That's the guy we've been waiting for. And you watch him again at Oklahoma and it's, oh, there's the dude. So I want to see tonight what Grant Delpit do we get. This is most likely his last college football game. I want to see him if we if he balls out. I remember having this conversation about Derwin James with a lot of people. of like, man, he just doesn't look the same this last year. And then he turned it on when it mattered. I want to see if Grant Delpit turns it on tonight as well. Yeah, so do I, because when you look at Delpit, I thought what made him so special as a freshman and sophomore player was how much he's shown in the spotlight. And you said, man, I wish I was evaluating that guy in this year's draft back to back years. Then the year comes where it's time to do that. And the film was not as good. So this is a make good chance for Grant Delpit. I think you and I specifically, Matt, have stuck by Grant Delpit more than anyone right now. I think, is he a top five, top ten player anymore? No. But we've said very firmly he's a first-round player that if he goes 20 to 25, you might be looking back and go, man, maybe we overthought that one too much because this guy's turned it on at the next level in the NFL. But I think Delpit really needs a big game tonight to show that, listen, when the when it matters most, I'm going to throw my body around, the tackling isn't an issue, and that I can make plays both close to the line of scrimmage and away from it. Exactly. I want to see him play more of that, not like reckless football, but I want to see him play with his hair on fire a little bit. The top senior for LSU is cornerback Christian Fulton. He's committed to the Senior Bowl. I will do whatever it takes to make sure this man gets to Mobile, Alabama, because his physicality, how sticky he is in coverage, is incredibly special. And he's battled an injury this year. Fulton, I mean, like Jeff Akuta is my guy. Fulton is my number two corner in this class. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I don't have a comp on him yet because I thought I had one and then it scared me and I backed off a little bit. But I really like Fulton. He's ranked 18 on my board. And this is a guy who, uh, and God slapped me for saying this is a guy, Fulton, <laughs> early in his career, had a drug test fail. You know, he got himself right. Everyone you talk to at LSU just speaks to the turnaround that he has made. And I think teams are going to buy into that Christian Fulton is a new guy, that he's a better person and player than he was early in his career, and that you're getting a, a truly special corner if you draft him. Well, yeah, Fulton, for me, I mean, 15th overall on my board. I love what he does in coverage. I think... In man coverage, this can be a top-flight corner at the next level. And he has the length 
You know, he's sticky in coverage. I think he can play the ball really well. I think you go back to the game against Alabama where you saw him against the best of the best. Sure, there were times where Henry Ruggs got the best of him. I think that's going to happen. They asked Fulton to line up one-on-one against those Alabama wide receivers. And when you take the size as a whole, uh, you know, of measuring that performance snap after snap, he did a really, really good job. And I think that's been the sum of him pretty much throughout his entire career when he's been on the field. He's done such a good job all the time. And I think he's a better prospect than Greedy Williams, maybe significantly a better prospect than Greedy Williams right now. I just think Fulton is a really, really good player that does all the things you ask of corners at the next level. So, you know, underratedly, one of the most important players to watch in this game. But if you don't hear his name called, it's because he's doing a really good job against a super tough task again. He had it against Alabama, and now he gets it again in Clemson. You don't need to search for film for Christian Fulton in this class. (laughs) You're going to get to know he's got it or he doesn't, and all the film I've watched shows that he does. Yeah, this could be a huge one for him tonight. And Derek Stingley Jr. on the other side of the field, a true freshman. So we won't even talk about him next year. We have two years to wait for that guy. Wide receiver for LSU, they're loaded. But Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall, not draft eligible. So you turn to Justin Jefferson, who was huge against Oklahoma, unstoppable. I've heard LSU coaches talk uh, about the fact that they watched the OU film, and they're like, oh, we're picking on that guy. And they knew Justin Jefferson was going to have a monster game And he did. Justin is such a smooth route runner. He is not the biggest, strongest guy, but he is incredibly smooth, very productive. He's 6'2", about 190. My comp for him was Devontae Adams. He is ranked right now, Connor, at 33 overall on my big board. In a normal wide receiver class, I bet he's in the top 25. I mean, he's had the biggest rise for me out of everyone. I just had to scroll up to find him. I have him at 17. Right now. now That's not crazy. He's such a good route runner. He's a great player. I think I love this wide receiver class. I didn't expect him to jump over players like T. Higgins and LaVisca Chenault, but he has. He's a really, really good player. I think you know, he might want to fill out a little bit more, and I think he will, but he's got good height, uh, good catch radius, and like you said, he's a good route runner where people are going to watch this offense and look at how did the production come out? Is it Joe Brady? Is it Joe Burrow? Is it the opposite? Is this Jamar Chase and and Jefferson and Clyde? It's everything in one. This is a great offense where a lot of top flight NFL talent is going to come out of it. And Jefferson, who's the second best wide receiver on his team, should be a first round pick in this year's draft. Really should be. And I think, like, to your point, you know, I have K.J. Hamler above him and I have LaVisca Shane. They're very different guys. And so for some teams, you know, they're going to want that, you know, speedy playmaker, you know, twitchy guy after the catch. Others are going to want the route running of Justin Jefferson. He's a a really good player. Now, the offensive line for LSU, I'm going to group some of these dudes in together. Excuse me. Let's start with the edge. Caleb on Chason, who is all about traits. If you want to see a player get drafted on traits, it's going to be Caleb on Chason. There has been some, will he come out? I think he does. You don't rock number 18 at LSU for two seasons very often because that number is a huge deal. You've heard us talk to Jacob Hester and Foster Moreau about it. So I think Caleb on Chason comes out. You're not going to pull his stats up and be like, that's a hell of a football player. But watch him play, especially when LSU plays teams that throw the ball a lot. You see the speed. He can dip his shoulder. He can bend. He's got to get stronger. That's a huge part of this. But I have Caleb on Chase on. I still have him in the first round because I believe in his traits so much. So I have him at 23 overall. 
Uh, and he would be the the second or third edge in this class. I have him tied with Terrell Lewis at Alabama. But what he can do as a dip and bend guy, his first step quickness is pretty pretty special. He's just incredibly raw right and now. One of the more interesting players in this class, I have him at 30 overall, and I can see that a significant jump into the top 15. I think he'll test well. I think once again, it, it feels like one of those edge pass rushers that you're going to look back and see, you know, where is the production? Now, he turned it on at the end of the year, and that spin move is devastating. And people that don't like smaller pass rushers on the edge, the bus rate can definitely be high at times, are going to have fears of Chase on. Now, we talk about Gross Matos and, and Brian Burns. I think Chase on actually might be even closer to Brian Burns, some of the things he does and the way he wins. Now, is he going to get bullied at times? Of course he is because he's a lighter player. But I think he'll work to put on weight, and I think he does. He wins in a lot of different ways, a lot of that being the speed, the spin move. I think what he did again, he basically made Alex Leatherwood go back to school. I want to make that exactly. very clear. Yes. <laughs> so if you need any examples against good players, you don't have to look much further than that. Yeah, and the LSU-Georgia uh, game was another one where it's like, oh, this guy is for real. Now, I do want to group the offensive line together sure. because there are two juniors, left tackle Sadiq Charles and center Lloyd Cushenberry. They could both come out, and I think the, they would both be top 70 players if they come out, and that's uh, that's just based on, like, I watch them when you're watching everyone else. But offensive guard Damian Lewis, someone I really like watching play, and then on the other side, you have Adrian McGee, who's not getting as much love, but LSU could have four offensive linemen drafted this year. With Damian Lewis, I do have a late day two, early day three grade on him. He is mean, playing that right guard spot. He is a power guy. If you look at this run game, they're very right-handed running the football. Damian Lewis is a huge part of that. He is a bit of a road grader. Uh, we have not seen him you know, committed to any all-star games like everyone else at LSU, it seems like, just waiting for him to uh, uh, to make a decision after tonight's game, but I like Damian Lewis a lot. If he gets you in a phone booth, you're done. I mean, holy shit. I think it was against Arkansas. I literally saw him pick someone up and throw them yep. to the side on the ground and, and just lead for a huge run. I'm curious to see what Charles and Cushenberry do. There, I can see them following kind of what the Ohio State guys did and going back to school, but you also have to wonder with offensive linemen, do they like to travel with their quarterback? I think that's what's interesting to me. Like you said, Matt, some guys are going to follow Joe Burrow to the NFL, and it's no slight on whoever plays quarterback for LSU next year. It just happens sometimes with offensive linemen. They could see, you know, you know, maybe a decline coming, and even if there isn't a decline for LSU next year, they just they feel they've done enough. But with Lewis, he's the guy that he's going no matter what, and he's a power player. He'll be very scheme specific. But there are a lot of flashes on film where I go, why isn't this guy getting enough love right now? Because he is really punishing people out there. He absolutely is. And I think with Cushenberry at center and Charles at left tackle, they're interesting players. And this offensive tackle class has incredible depth. So I can see Charles saying, you know what, next year, like I'll come back and uh, Sewell's going to be the first tackle. We know drafted, that. But I might be the second. You know, I mean, you got Walker Little coming back. There's some good tackles coming back next year. But but you might be a, a top 10 or 15 pick with another good year. So a, a tough decision for these guys. But they have talent on the offensive line. At LSU. Now, running back Clyde Edwards Alaire, talking to scouts last week, I was getting sneaky top 50 grades on him, which shocked me because you don't look, you look at his like body, he's like, he's 5'8, 210 pounds. Like, how is this guy a top 50 player? But he catches the ball 
really, really well out of the backfield. Maybe the best receiver out of the backfield in this entire class. And there's some guys who could catch. He has had monster games where he's taken over this offense. There's been games where he's carried the offense a little bit. So we just talked about the offensive line and how good they are. So you know what my question is going to be. It's a one-year wonder. How good would he be without Joe Burrow opening up offenses or defenses? And how good would he be without this D-line? But I'll tell you, there's a lot of like for CEH in the NFL. I'm not surprised because, number one, he profiles identically to Mark Ingram. So if you liked Mark Ingram, you're going to like Clyde, Clyde yep. Edwards-Hilaire. And I don't really believe in taking a guy like that round one, but I could easily see him deserving to go in round two. And once again, if Najee goes back to school, if the ETN goes back to school, that's where, you know, Clyde, Clyde the Glide bumps up easily. He projects very right up in there. Great balance, great contact balance. I think he runs low to the ground, which is you've seen him use his power and take advantage of that running style. And like you said, Matt, he catches the ball so well. So Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I know he's been banged up this year at times, which cooled him off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there was a time where he was skyrocketing up, and I would not be shocked at all to hear his name called in round two. I actually think that's exactly where he'll go. But top 50, that's juicy for him. That's juicy for any running back. Yeah, I mean, like when you think about round two, it's like, does Travis Etienne slip into there? Does Cam Akers? We're waiting to hear what Najee Harris does. This running back class uh, could get really, really good. He's way better than Akers. I think so. Yeah. Akers is tough because not to get off on another team. Akers is tough because he had nothing around him. Yes. At all. So it's, they're almost polar opposites in that way. Now we can look at the linebackers and the safeties, not named Grant Delpit because LSU is stocked there as well. Patrick Queen, Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen. He's like Kenneth Murray that no one talks about. His range, his speed sideline to sideline, I have not graded him because the expectation was that he would go back to school. If he comes out, the things I've seen, man, I, I think I would probably put him inside the top 40. I really, really like his game. He's 6'1", like 235. I mean, he's pro-built, and he has been all over the field. Now, Jacob Phillips is someone I gave around three grade two when I was asked uh, by uh, scouts and agents where I liked him. I put a, a day three on him. His instincts just aren't there yet, but he is body beautiful. He's 6'4", 230. He can run like the wind. His instincts just aren't quite developed enough yet. And then you have the safeties, not just Grant Delpit, but you have uh, Jacoby Stevens and Kerry Vincent Jr. They both play really well near the line of scrimmage, especially Kerry Vincent Jr. We've seen some hits from him this year that are really, really nice. But again, both guys are juniors. They might want their chance to go back to LSU and be Grant Delpit next year and be Christian Fulton next year. So I think with those two, and with the two linebackers, there's been some rumblings that they're at least testing the waters, but I hope we see those four guys go back to school. I'm not too surprised there. I think when you look at Phillips, just the way his height profile is at 6'4", 230, and like you said, Matt, how good he runs, there was a lot of production from both of these linebackers during the 2018 season where we had a good feel for them coming into this year where I think we both said on the previous show – they're going to be fine. Uh, you lose Devin White, yeah, that sucks. But they had two guys ready to come in, ready to flourish right away. So for the uh, for the LSU front seven, if you're going to trust anyone developing some front seven players, I think they're good there. And I'm not surprised. I, I think they could both benefit going back to school because I think the hype would increase for them. You would go in knowing that, hey, these are two of the potential top linebackers in the country. I still think this defense will be very, very good. Obviously having a premier player on the outside and Stingley is very important. They recruit very well 
all over the defense every year, even when LSU was not this top five program. They've always recruited very well on the defensive side of the ball. So I could see both sides to it. I could see both players easily being day two picks. If you know, Obviously, they show out at the combine. They run pretty well. They test pretty well. But I think if they go back to school, they start to play themselves maybe more into that top 40, top 50 range instead. Yeah, and I, the last guy I want to talk about is Rashard Lawrence, who every time you watch LSU play, this dude makes big plays. But he's just not getting a ton of draft buzz, which surprises me a little bit. He's a senior. I really like him, and I have him graded as maybe around three guy. I mean, he's 6'3", 317, but he penetrates. He sees the run. He's just incredibly smart, and for some reason, he's not getting love, which actually sounds like I probably need to move him higher because I really like this player the more I talk about him. But you don't you don't get the you talk to scouts about D linemen or even LSU. No one talks about Richard Lawrence. But I'll bet you five dollars this dude makes plays tonight. Every time you watch LSU play, he's getting things done from that interior D line position. Well, I thought he was going to declare last year. Uh, do you remember how much he dominated yes. in the Fiesta Bowl? He had a phenomenal game <sighs> against UCF, and I remember watching him all year because we got to see LSU on the first tailgate tour against Georgia. So we knew a lot about that football team, and I'm like, oh, Lawrence is junior defensive lineman, really good player, he'll declare, watched a ton of him, he goes back to school, and you almost forget about him because they have so many good players in this phenomenal season. So I'm with you all the way there. Is he one of those, you know, not the biggest guy all the time, especially how he's more compact player? Yes, but we've seen so many of those guys excel recently, and Lawrence has years of production right now where... I really like him. I mean, this is the last three years. He's played very, very well. And I'm excited to see his send-off in college football. One of the more underappreciated players, not just for LSU, but on defense in college football the last two seasons. Yeah, he is a lot of fun to watch. Tonight, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to put you on the spot. This wasn't in the rundown, but we have to pick this game. Oh, of course. I'm taking LSU because... I picked against them once earlier this year, and I may never do it again. I'm taking LSU in this one. I do think it will be a close game because of how good this Clemson offense is. I just don't know if Clemson has the defense to stop Joe Burrow. So I'm doing my same championship rant from last year. I'm (laughs) taking Clemson's points, and I think LSU wins. Last year I said I took Clemson's points, but I thought Alabama wins. Uh, I won the bet, but Clemson steamrolled Alabama I don't think that'll be the case. I do think LSU caps off a a brilliant year. But, Matt, I got Clemson at plus five and a half. So I know LSU's been brilliant. I know they're great. I think Clemson's great as well. And I could see this being a three-point game that comes down to the wire. And guess what? The Tigers are going to win anyway. Yeah, right there you go the Tigers are winning that's our pick for tonight this gonna be a great game uh tweet at us when you hear this let us know who you're picking or who you're excited to watch it's at stick to football it is draft on draft time we got five awesome questions for you guys and I apologize if you're watching on YouTube you notice I've been looking at typing a lot today we're here trying to get things ready for the senior bowl and apparently every agent in the world today wants to know where their guys are graded so I apologize if uh, you've seen me being Mr. Typey fingers today but Connor first question from our guy Todd Rice Are there any positions other than quarterback where being a one-year starter can hurt a player's stock? Are there certain positions where it does matter and certain ones where it doesn't? I I always feel like with a one-year wonder guy, and and one thing I try to explain is that with scouting, we're always learning. Hopefully, we're always getting better. And I've been burned on some one-year wonder guys where it's like Mitchell Trubisky is the obvious one where it's like, oh, he was so good for one year. He'll just keep getting better. 
and he hasn't. So I think you have to be aware of it. If you're a one-year wonder at running back, it's probably not going to hurt you as much because we've seen it before where as long as you are athletic, you're one-year wonder at running back. To me, that just means you have been hit a lot. Think about Josh Jacobs last year. Played for three years at Alabama, but was really a one-year wonder. So when it came time to evaluate him, it's like, oh, he hasn't had the wear and tear of a normal Alabama running back. This is amazing. And it didn't hurt him that because he was such a good athlete with power, with speed, with burst and vision, that you knew it would translate. So I, I think with everything, you got to put the player in the bubble, which is something I, I try to work to be a lot better at. And you have to erase your confirmation bias. you know. And I think that's where a lot of us get burned with players is you feel like you watch two, three games, you know the player, and then you look for everything to point back to them being that guy instead of keeping an open mind about it. I also think the one-year wonder Label needs context. Like, you can be a one-year wonder in the ACC and your team didn't make the playoff and you're sitting there and you're going, well, let me find the toughest game he played against the toughest competition. And then you're sitting there and you go, maybe I do have some reservations. And then you could also have a one-year wonder. Like, let's be real. Joe Burrow as a superstar quarterback is a one-year wonder. Joe Burrow has also lit up phenomenal college football teams week after week after week and he's done it at the highest level nonstop. so there's a different one-year wonder as in Mitch Trubisky versus Joe Burrow now I know Joe Burrow was more than a one-year starter I get that but in terms I mean Matt we had Joe Burrow projected round like three to five before the season as a quarterback prospect now he's the number one overall pick in ink so it's it's different I think context is important, and I think there are a lot of different one-year wonder players. Like, uh, who is the safety? Holloman, Gerard Holloman, LSU. Yeah, that was that was an interesting one. He had like fourteen interceptions. He had all the interceptions. Yeah. So you go back and you watch those interceptions, and you go, well, you know, how is he getting these, and and why is this one-year phenomenal wonder projection? I think Brandon Whedon's another interesting guy because he was an older quarterback that had this one brilliant year. So it's it is to answer the question about players that can hurt their stock. I don't think it's positional based. I think a lot of it is just context of how they got that one year, whether it was really good or really bad, and what factors caused that. Jack Pollard, a question that is so close to the hearts of the stick to football host. That's a good one. Should Joe Montana do the coin toss if the Super Bowl is Kansas City versus San Francisco? Here's the thing. I don't know. I put this question in here. I don't know if a lot of people know this. We've had Joe Montana on the show. We were really fortunate to get that interview. One of my career highlights. Joe Montana does not like to do stuff like this. Like you would, they'll do things in San Francisco, like, oh, come meet the great Niners of all time. Joe Montana will not be there. Like he does not have a lot to do with that organization. Like my man is trying to sell Skechers. That is all he cares about. Like, yeah, it pays the bills. Right. So I don't know if he would show up. You know, I really don't. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see, like, even when they did the MVP thing, I was at that Super Bowl. It was in San Francisco. They walked out like all 50 MVPs or whatever. And it was like a weird response to Joe Montana. So I, I just, man, it, he's an interesting dude. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I love Joe Montana. But uh, I, I do think that, gosh, there are, I don't know if they could talk him into it. Like, I think yeah, Roger Goodell would have to personally beg. Yeah, but if you do that, what's the fun in like if he doesn't want to be there, don't right. do it. Right. So I'm but, I'm I mean, with you. It's a great have, idea. You have Steve Bono do it. Like I mean, come on. <laughs> it's a great idea that it, 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 it just might not pan out. Patrick Howie, 
with our next question here. With Swift, Taylor, Dobbins, and ETN getting the majority of the running back love, are there any other running backs with later round value that you like? Yeah. Well, we did a big one today in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about Cam Akers a little bit. I like Cam Akers. I think with him, it's, too. you got to get him out of that scheme almost and try to evaluate him that way. You know, we talked to Eno Benjamin a couple weeks ago. I like him a lot as a third down receiving back. Uh, Jamichael Hasty at Baylor, ton of speed. I, I like him a lot. My favorite all-around running back that's not, you know, top 75 guy is Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt. Me too. We talked so speed. much about him top senior running back headed into the year and then Vandy just didn't play well you know we didn't see the production from him or Kalijah Lipscomb or Jared Pinckney that we expected so I really like Keyshawn Vaughn I think in a week people will be talking in two weeks people will be talking about him a lot more than they are right now because I think he'll be the best back at the senior bowl I don't even think it's close to be honest with you when you look at that running back group um, another one that people are really high on that we're curious to keep an eye on, but I know in general people really like Zach Moss. That's going to be an interesting one to follow. I want to see how he runs, uh, interviews, a lot of different things we'll there. see him at the Senior Bowl. And we will not see him at the Senior Bowl. So that's a little disappointing. Yeah, it's a deep running back class. I mean, we were saying earlier in the show, Najee Harris could go back to school. That takes a big one off the board because I think he could be in that group of four that you named earlier. Yeah, There's a lot of talented players. There really are. And, and if you can find starters on day two, you really can. You might even find some starters on day three that we've seen before. The next one from Carson Fritchie. Matt has been harassed, to say the least, <laughs> by people on Twitter over a certain prospect that shall not be named. Have any of you ever had a take on a prospect that gets people this worked up every year? Every year. And so I love this question for a lot of reasons. I am currently uh, dealing with people bringing up like a a November take on Derrick Henry from his senior season. And I was wrong. And I think like that's the thing that makes me different, makes us different, is that I'll tell you I was wrong. And then I'll tell you why I was wrong with Derrick Henry. The dude had more carries in high school football than anyone in history. And then Nick Saban ran him into the ground that last year. So I really thought, man, here's this 6'3", 250-pound guy with this many carries. I've never seen a prospect like Derrick Henry hit. And you can look at the NFL, there's no one else like him right now. And so you get into, like I said earlier, a little bit of a confirmation bias of all those carries, all those hits. I've never seen someone at 6'3", 250 have success in the modern NFL where at the time everyone was getting smaller, not bigger. So, and I, I'm not trying to say I was right in any way, but Derrick Henry's first two years, he wasn't good. He event, he got in the right system. We talk about this all the time. He got in the right situation. He talked to Eddie George, made some changes about his game, about his workouts, and now he is the best running back in the NFL for the 2019 season. He's having a historic run through the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, people will get on you pre-draft and post-draft about a player. It's just the nature of the business. And I think because we at Bleacher Report are more interactive than the other networks, you're going to get more of that. You invite it more by being interactive. It's just it's part of the job that you have to deal with. But I think the key for me, I've been doing this. Uh, I'm about to start my 10th year doing this. And you just have to be like, I was wrong. It's going to happen again. But here's what I tried to learn from that. And with Derrick Henry, what I've learned is there are going to be outliers. Some guys are just anomalies. And, you know, Russell Wilson's another one. You watch Russell Wilson play in college, and you're like, that dude's a first-round pick. But at the time, a 5'10 quarterback had not succeeded in the NFL. And so you you bet on the 99.9 out of 100 that don't make it. And every now and then, there's going to be that guy that's that, that point one that hits. 
I mean, you're watching over 400 players a year. Uh, you're going to get some wrong. It happens. Now, I think you make a great point, Matt, that you, uh, you, me, and Mello and Bleacher Report in general is much more interactive than other media brands as analysts. Now, that is through a lot of different channels. I think you and I, notably on Twitter, I think, you know, we do dabble in Instagram, especially lives on Instagram. And I also think now the big one being the Bleacher Report app is very interactive because a lot of our clip outs from this show and conversations from this show live in the Bleacher Report app where it's going to the fans of those teams. And if they don't agree with you, you know, you get a nice sometimes I wake up to notifications of people commenting like, like, fuck you. This would never happen. I'm just like, it's a conversation. So. I love being interactive, and it's just part of it, and you're going to miss, and it happens. I think my favorite example is I had someone who followed me for a long time on Twitter. Uh, they blocked me on Twitter because I liked Ed Oliver more than Quinn and Williams, and they told me that. They go, I don't understand how you can like Ed Oliver more than Quinn and Williams, wow. uh, and I'm blocking you. And I was like, okay. So uh, yeah. just being honest, Ed Oliver was much better than Quinn and Williams this year. Now, I hope Quinn and Williams right. turns it on and is phenomenal these next couple of years. But there's just t- some people are really good at understanding disagreements, and some people, including yourself, are really good at just owning things, uh, owning misses. Because if you can't own your misses, and this is a great example for the last question we're going to have here, you won't last in this business. No, you, you won't. won't. No, you'll you'll flame out really quickly. Yep. Last question, and this is one we get a lot, but it's always fun to answer. And iTunes or Apple Podcast questions to send those. You can still comment there. Five star review will probably get your question answered. Ryan from Chicago, how do you become a scout for an NFL team? What needs to be on your resume, and what are the first steps to getting there? Uh, you know, a long time ago, I tried this route. This was what I wanted to do out of high school was to be an NFL scout, and uh, you know, life had different plans for me. So the one thing that I learned. 18 years ago was that you needed to know someone. It was who you know because that's the first step. Now, what I tell – I teach scouting classes over the summer, and the money goes to my my charity that I run. And what I tell every guy who I talk to over the summer is that if you're in college, walk right now to the football operations building and say, what can I do? I will intern. I'll do laundry. I'll paint the field. What can I do? Because the most NFL scouts these days are coming from college where they worked for the football team. That is the best way to get in. If you're outside of college, you want to look for an internship. Um, you can look on, you know, NFL teams post jobs all the time. You can follow those teams on Twitter. They'll they'll talk about their internships. But that is the best way is to try to get an internship if you're in college or if you're out of college to get an internship with an NFL team. Unfortunately, if you are 35 years old and working in accounting right now, it's probably not going to happen unless you know someone who works for a team and they're willing to give you an entry-level position that you can afford to take because the money will not be good to start with. Most teams do a two-year scouting internship, and it is paid, but it's going to be like twenty-five dollars or $30,000 a year, and you're probably going to live with three other people because NFL teams are in big cities where it costs a lot to live. So it's I'm not trying to discourage anyone. There aren't a lot of jobs, and like Connor said, to get those jobs – so there's 32 teams. Let's say each team has 10 jobs. It's 320 scouting jobs. How many people do you think want that job? You got to be willing to out sacrifice and outwork everyone else who wants that job. Without a, di- I mean, there's so many factors into it. I remember, you know, there was a time, and I believe you might have even been with me when I could have pushed to try to get an internship as a scouting intern. Uh, yeah, and I do remember. I, I was 24, 25 years old, and it already would have been over a 50 percent pay cut. 
almost yeah. 65%. And sometimes you get into a situation in life where you can't do that. And I tell people this all the time that want to make it. There are simple things that you're going to have to accept. A lot of basically all the time you're going to have to relocate. Number two, you're going to have to figure it out financially in ways that you would never, ever expect. And if you're in the position to even have to worry about those things, you've made it much further than just about everyone else. Right. Most people don't even have the opportunity. So I think it's it's really interesting path. I think, like you said, Matt, it is about who you know because you and I did not play football at a high level where we sit there and go, oh, you know, now the path is I, I finished playing college football. Now I'll go back as a GA and, and just find my path from there. Whether that's not work that way for me. Yeah. That's like how it works for a lot of people. Right. Uh, really, a lot of the the players number one that have the interest, but number two, the guys that the staff knew were really intelligent guys. You get to be a GA. Yep. You work in some kind of form. Now, if you like Matt said, if you're just a student, you can find ways to help. A lot of it is in recruiting, recruiting offices. You should learn skills that you would never expect. Making graphics, editing yes. video, how to cut cutting video, video yep. doing all of those things. These guys need people that can cut up film. These guys need people that can make graphics for recruits or be there to let the recruit into the facilities to unlock the doors. These are things that you have to do. Or if you don't even if you want to work on the strength staff, like you're going to have to work your way up as an intern, fetching water, mopping <laughs> floors. There's so many different things and different ways to do it. If you want to and you believe you could do it, I truly am a believer that anyone can make it happen. But you don't realize the amount of sacrifices that you have to make. And honestly, I'll say this. Now that I've been around it for a very long time, it is one of the most erratic lifestyles I have ever witnessed. Like, I I grew up in a house where... You know, my parents went to work and then they come home now a little more erratic than most because my dad worked 24 hour shifts as a firefighter in the city, but still normal scouts are gone sometimes for 30 days in a row or you're fired and you don't have a job and you don't you might be out of the league and you need to find a new career. I think that's the side of it that doesn't get talked about enough. That's not the glamorous side of it. Right, yeah. I mean, you just think of all the teams that just got fired. Um, it's a lot of scouting. You know, the Browns, whole scouting department could get fired. Those guys got to go find jobs. So it is. It's a huge part of it. And I'll say a lot of that same advice applies to media. If you want to, if you want to take oh, my job one of these days, you have to be willing to. There are even less of these jobs than there are scouting jobs. So the the pool gets even smaller. A lot of it's who you know. It's not as much like, oh, where you went to college, but it's who you know, who you can network with, and then getting in at the ground floor. I started here as an unpaid writer who no one had ever heard of, and and now they will have to literally drag me from the building to get me to ever leave this place. So and that You know what? I'll say this. This is something that when people message me and they ask for honest advice, I often say, listen, if you want to find your way in and you're young, you're going to college or you're in the middle of college – I would learn, soak up as much stats, data, and mathematics class as you can and invest yourself in analytics because that's the most jobs that are opening up in the NFL right now. Every single team, if they don't have one, they're making an analytics department that might have four, five, six, seven, eight jobs. Teams hire analytics yep. guys as freelancers. I mean, there's people on Twitter that work for NFL teams that you wouldn't even know about. So, I think if you truly want in, you have to do something different. You can't always just sit there and and I love 
what we do. We get to watch a million players go through the tape, but that's not always the most direct way in now anymore. Yeah, or get really, really good at social media because every team is hiring that guy. Uh, so it, it, there's a lot of ways in, but none of them are easy. So that is our show. Uh, good luck tonight, LSU and Clemson. No matter who wins, it's going to be a fun game. And uh, we'll be back Wednesday morning. Um, we'll see what happens. It might be a mock draft. It might be looking back at LSU Clemson. It might be looking forward to the Senior Bowl. There's a lot going on right now, but we can guarantee you a fun show. For Connor, it's Matt. We'll talk to you all real soon.